0: You're listening to E Commerce Marketing School presented by Privy. And a big thank you to our co sponsors of the show, Suna and Hashtag Paid. And now, a quick shout out to a giant pain in the butt for e com stores everywhere getting the right photos and videos to sell your products. Here's the truth not a single transaction happens on the internet that doesn't involve a visual. If you're in e commerce, you need professional photos. That's Suna. They're the virtual content studio. Join over 10,000 merchants who get high quality creative by simply shipping their product, joining their shoot online and paying for the photos they need as they go. Oh, and those photos, they're only $39 each. Your pain point is about to be your secret weapon. Get started today at Suna.co. That's S-O-O-N-A.co. Awesome. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm here with Sean Frank, founder and CEO of Ridge, Ridge ridge.com. Check them out. They're a premium brand, best known for their slim metal wallets. I've got mine. I love it. And uh, since they've they've obviously expanded into other products as well. So Sean, if you don't follow him on, on Twitter, you got to. He cracks me up. He's running an incredible brand, Ridge, and I want to hear about that. But on Twitter, I know him for two things. He posts memes of the D2C industry. A lot of them are pictures of himself and his awesome beard. And the second is I'd say every couple of weeks he's coming out with a, a deep dive analysis of a public brand's earnings calls or earnings report. So I thought it'd be fun to bring him on and just try to understand like what the hell's actually happening in this industry right now. So, Sean, thanks for coming on. Dude, thanks for having me. Glad you have a wallet. That's pretty sick. <laughs> Yeah, so let's start with Ridge before we do the the state of e-com stuff. I had Connor on a couple of weeks back. If you didn't listen to that episode, go check it out. It's a little bit about how he joined around, I think it was like five million in sales and helped scale from a marketing perspective, or at least that's his take. <laughs> Maybe you have a different one. But I'd love to understand just like how did you get this idea? Like what were you doing that, that made you think you could change the wallet industry?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, first, who's Connor? I'm just joking. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> nice. I'm sure I love that.
1: No, no, no. So, yeah. Quick correction: not the founder of Ridge. Me and Connor founded an agency together, and I also joined when they were doing five million dollars. So, oh
0: wow. Okay, I didn't know
1: that. Connor and I have the same origin story. Yeah, yeah. No, it was an awesome product. Daniel and his dad made it in like 2012. They put it on Kickstarter. And they're still involved. I mean, Paul isn't. His dad's totally retired. He's just chilling and enjoying his life as an old, rich guy. But no, Daniel, still involved, still does a lot of our product design. I just took over as CEO because I have like a, a clearer vision of what I want to accomplish with nice. the brand. And I was the CEO of the agency. So Connor always done all the work. I've always just taken all the credit. And
0: that continues to this day. So was Daniel, like, was he like Sean I need someone to run this company. Well so yeah they
1: it was a father son best friend so Paul dad Daniel son Austin is uh, is his best friend they had their other best friend Brett but they really didn't want to hire anybody else. They're like their whole life was like they didn't want to have employees and stress and management or whatever else. So they knew they needed help. They found us and they're like, "We'll outsource as much as possible to these guys." And we were doing all their marketing. They were doing all their ops, inventory management. We had a team in China, customer service. Basically, everything that wasn't the product design we were doing, hmm. and it was going really well. But I was charging them a ton of money. I mean, it was two hundred thousand dollars a month minimum. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they were sending some big, some big wire transfers over. So it made sense to. Just merge. So, me and Connor took equity stakes. We brought the whole team over. And then, you know, that was before COVID. And then we spent the past, you know, couple of years realigning that and figuring out a good system to scale. And uh, now we're doing over $100 million a year and making a ton of cool new stuff.
0: Dude, that's amazing. I had no idea that that was actually how it went down. And it's not a story you hear often that, like, the, the founder of a business is having a lot of success with an agency scaling it and brings that the duo in as CEO and CMO it's it's a pretty cool story.
1: Yeah, well, that's like some advice I always give founders of their business. Like if you're like the owner operator of an e brand, it's like why do you think you're good at it? <laughs> like that's what I always tell people. It's like cool, you made a thing, that's awesome. Being an inventor is an entirely different skill than running and scaling an enterprise, right? And so like, even if you can get it to five or 10 or even 20 or 30 million by yourself, it's like, do you think you're the best person on earth to run this business? And the answer is no. It's like, there's other people who are better running this company than you are. And the same thing with agency owners, I always tell them, I'm like, look, dude, eventually your agency is going to go out of business. Like you, you like it or not, like you're three bad quarters away from all of your clients leaving. Right. And it's like, You know, service businesses are amazing to get off the ground. I owned and exited a service business. I've exited a bunch of service businesses. And it's great because, like, you can sell your intelligence. You can sell your ability to build teams and scale and have processes. But there's no exit multiple on agencies. You know what I mean? Like, you hear about some sales, but it's a very, like, niche industry. Like, very few people want to be in the industry. So all I have to say is, like... Advice for brand owners, find people who are better at running your business than you are. Advice for agencies, find a way to integrate you with the best brands. Every agency has like two really good brands and like 12 that suck. It's just the way, the way it works. Yeah, You should latch one of those two as long as possible.
0: I love that. That's good stuff. One of the things that I saw, well, let's put it this way. You're, you told me you're doing 100 million, probably more than that now between the two episodes I'm gathering. You tweeted out something that really stood with me, right? You're the CEO of Ridge. You said you can't do it for money. Out of touch tweet, but the thrill of money runs out. Uh, you remember your first 100K day, first 1 million sales day, and now you don't even look at sales reports on your phone. And you've found something much bigger that keeps you excited. I think that that actually ties nicely with like, what's happening in the market. Right. Because like there was this huge wave of founders that thought like, wow, the it thing to do right now is to start a, a business that sells direct to consumer online. And like it's really freaking hard. And so you, you kind of do need to be motivated by much more than just like getting to a million dollars in sales.
1: Yeah. Money's great, but uh <laughs> it's the hedonistic treadmill. You know what I mean? Like your first $100,000 day is mind-blowing. You know what I mean? Like, that's like as much money as you could possibly make in a year in one single day selling goods to people. That's fucking awesome, right? And also, it's like, I think it's also just getting older. Like, it's like like repetition. Like, the more times you do something, the less exciting it is. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah. You're so old, by the way, 28. I've seeing some gray in the beer. <laughs> You're such an old guy.
1: Yeah, no, man. I'm, I'm definitely aging. I think I broke my toe doing yoga. That's how old I'm getting. No, but like, you know, think about LeBron getting on like the court. You know what I mean? Like if we did that, like everyone in the stage freaking out for us would be like, This is insane, right? But you know, he has to play like what eighty games a year. He's done it for twenty years. It's like, yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, you're like, this is just my fucking life, right? A hundred thousand dollar day is probably not the equivalent of, you know, stadium people yelling at you. But it is just like that isn't a thrill. You know what I mean? Like, it's really awesome when it happens, but if you're just doing it for money, it's like Like I think Elon summarizes the best, right? It's like you know when he became the richest person, he just tweeted, "Oh, that's cool." Back to work, you know what I mean? Because it's like uh, it doesn't really matter. It's not really a. uh, It's not like a ladder, you know what I mean? But what I'm really excited about when we keep doing is like cool new things every single day, right? That's like what makes Ridge so special to me, right? Like we're making new products, right? Like we have a clear vision of what we're trying to be, right? We're trying to be like the American Mont Blanc, right? So Mont Blanc historic tradition like they have a flagship product everyone knows them for but they make a bunch of great stuff right and we're trying to be like if yeti built that right so it's a clear vision it's a clear thing we're executing on and we have a real shot at it right so that's really exciting every day we're making new stuff we're doing like cooler and cooler collabs today we're recording this i don't know when this comes out but we just launched our bronco giveaway so like we partnered with hennessy performance this like really like uh prestigious car manufacturer based in texas and we built a custom bronco with them we have you know we're doing a bunch of great stuff so wow.
0: that's, that's where me going that.
1: right now it's like no sales going up is great because it just means we have more money and more resources to hire people and do more cool stuff but no nah, man you got to do it for like something way bigger than that something you're passionate about and maybe maybe d2c was lacking that you know what i mean like yeah we we could we could dive into the whole d2c subspace but what else you want to talk about
0: yeah so Just a little bit about Ridge. We got a couple tweet questions from some of your fan base. I want to make sure we cover that. So what is the key to selling a premium product at a premium price in a crowded market? This person said other wallet entrants, they're talking about threads specifically, went low price point, but Ridge has been able to crush at a high price point. So would love your take on that.
1: Yeah. The first thing I'll say is that most wallets that are sold are more expensive than us. So that's like, it's hard to wrap your head around, right? We're 150 bucks or whatever. And people are like, oh, Tommy Hilfiger is like a $20 wallet. Threads is a $20 wallet. Yeah. LVMH does $30 billion a year in their leather goods and bag section, right? Wallets are multi-billion dollars worth of that, right? Gucci is the second most popular wallet in America after us, right? Their entry point is 350 400 or whatever else, right? So, wow. yeah, I mean, it's really easy to be like, ooh, who would ever fucking buy your $150 wallet, right? We're guaranteed for life. We have the customer service and the reputation to back that up. We have really great marketing that hits on like all the value props and the reason why you would want this. It's innovative materials that like we're delivering in somebody's hand for the first time, like burnt titanium or whatever else. And uh, compared to a Gucci wallet, we're a bargain. You know what I mean? Compared to a. You know, yeah, off-white wallet yeah. were a bargain, right? So anyway, that's like the first thing I'll talk about. And like, uh, here's something I always tell people, LVMH and Walmart have the same market cap. They're both worth, you know, depending on the day, depending on the week, between 350 and $450 billion, right? Which one would you rather be, right? So like Walmart has millions of employees, like massive yeah. logistical, Like, they're, they're selling food and gas and whatever else, right? LVMH, you know, is selling premium bottles of wine and luggage and whatever else. So if you got to pick which one you want to be, which one do you think would be lower stress, right? I'd much rather be LVMH. Totally. So that's kind of like the, the way we went into designing these products and everything we're doing.
0: I like that take. And uh, another good one came in, and I liked how you talked about this recently too. So it's probably fresh, but someone wants to know what your take is on Amazon for rich to sell or not to sell on Amazon.
1: Yeah. So we weren't on Amazon until 2018. And then I think that's the year that Amazon won. So it's like 25% of all searches just start on Amazon now for products, right? Like they have a huge subsection of the population and that's just where their shopping happens, right? It's kind of like, talk about brand loyalty, right? People used to be like, I only shop in Nordstroms. So I have a Nordstrom's car. Like That's where I shop. That's where I get all my stuff, right? Or like, you know, Costco. Costco has the same sort of diehard lawyer list where it's like, no, I have a Costco club. Like, I go in there. That's why I buy all my stuff. Amazon has that for a huge percentage of the population for e-commerce transactions, right? So it used to be D2c versus Amazon, right? In 2018, I think it switched to c and to Amazon. Selling on Amazon has a lot of problems to it, right? Amazon sales were down year over year on their e-commerce platform, but their advertising revenue was up 16%. So, you know what that means? They're just charging more for advertising. The sales aren't going up. So, every year, your sales are going to become more and more expensive. They're going to shove more ad spaces. They're going to make it like that the best product isn't winning anymore. And maybe antitrust gets involved in that. But you're leaving 25% of your top line revenue on the table if you're not selling on Amazon. And people are like, oh, well, knockoffs, competitors. Dude, I'm the most knocked off brand in America. Type in Ridge Wallet, go on Amazon. You'll see us at $95 and people selling for $12, right? And we're still able to have a eight-figure Amazon business, right? Because we have brand loyalty, because we're creating a category, because we are the malt block of the wallet space, right? So look, Amazon, the necessary evil. Jeff Bezos made a lot of money. They really just strategically have built and ingrained, just like when you want to search something, the first thing you do is go to Google. When people want to buy something, the first thing they do is go to Amazon, right? And you'll see the halo effect. If you use any sort of attribution software, you run Facebook ads, people start searching you on Amazon, and they go hand in hand.
0: Hold on, we can't talk about attribution software on this show. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm just teasing. But I actually like the other kind of angle you took on Amazon maybe a week or two ago, which I thought really put it in perspective that Amazon's got 600 million customers, right? And that's the same uh, amount as Canada.
1: So what it is, and it's crazier than that. It's the GMV, so the entire marketplace of Amazon, all of the retail dollars, all of the sales, is 600 billion dollars. Every single retail sale in Canada last year was 600 billion dollars. So cars, groceries, like. Any amount of money exchanging hands in Canada was six hundred billion in a retail capacity, it's the same as Amazon. So, yeah, to me that that blew my mind. That's fucking insane. That like Canada's like a top ten economy.
0: You know totally, what I mean? totally. Yeah, that means,
1: yeah, yeah. That means like it's a first world country with like thirty five million people shopping, buying. Like you're, you're talking from transactions in gas stations to transactions in Home Depot to Lowe's or whatever else. All of that in Canada added together is the same as Amazon.com. So it's like avoiding the entire population of Canada. That's that yeah. like
0: that's what it's like. So your take is is essentially that it's worth the risk because you're tapping into an additional 25, 30% growth in sales because of the loyal customer base. And you know, if you see ripoffs that charge less than you that come directly from China, like that's just part of being in the market.
1: Yeah. Th- okay, think about this. What brand has the greatest distribution possible? Coca-Cola, right? Like it's in McDonald's, it's in gas stations, it's in movie theaters, whatever, right? Coca-Cola, the best distribution. So Coca-Cola is best, like the distribution throughout all of Canada, anywhere you could buy Coca-Cola in Canada, Tim Hortons, wherever else, that is what you're ignoring by ignoring Amazon. Just being on Amazon.com gives you that same level of distribution, so- That's what I'm trying to get across. It's crazy. You just got to be there.
0: No, I like it. I like it. All right. Well, thanks. I think we I think we covered the questions from the listeners. So, give us. Let's talk about like what the hell's going on right now, and like is Ridge affected by this? I mean, the comps that I'm seeing is that like brands are some brands are are up, right, and that's that's fantastic. But a lot are kind of flat year over year, or like Amazon even. Down, you know, a couple percent year over year post COVID. Like, A is Ridge impacted by some of that stuff, and like, what's your take on on what's happening there?
1: Yeah, I talked to a lot of brands. Most brands were down or flat for most of the year. I think Q three is starting to, to turn a corner there. It directly tracks with like fuel costs, right? Like, the thing you have to like remember is in America, across the entire world, actually, like a huge percentage of dollars earned go to fuel costs right like the average american spends seven percent of their paycheck on fuel which is crazy you know what i mean like and if you're rich and you're out of touch like i posted a tweet a while back i'm like do you know anyone who makes minimum wage like do you know anyone who works for tips like you're sitting there like as in an ivory castle right you're like you're sitting there just like kind of disconnected from most of who your customers are right and so when fuel prices go up a hundred percent year over year or whatever like they just have less disposable income right but as soon as you started to see that normalized, as the talk of recession kind of rolled out of the news cycle, things got better in Q3. And a lot of it is like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. But here's what I'll tell you. We try to be 50% up year over year every year. 2021 was an anomaly where things got really crazy. Like that was like our, I mean, growth was like just unsustainable, just like th- yeah. through the moon. That continued in Q1. We were up 70% year over year in Q1. We kind of peeled that back in Q2, just like we saw softening demand. But Q3 is, you know, rocking right along. Nice. And I think optimistically, it feels like we're kind of past the worst of it. We'll see if there's like, you know, a massive tanking in Q4 or whatever else. But like, people are just kind of adapting to the new normal, and like, we are watching brands fall apart and fall off. Right? Like, if you had unsustainable debt cycles, like if you didn't know how to run at a lower MER, like those brands are screwed. Some brands, like. They're like, yeah, we operate at, at like a 10% EBITDA. It's like, oh, you're going to go out of business. It's like, because a 10% EBITDA, one, it's like, do I trust that you even know how to calculate that correctly? Yeah. Most yeah. brands under, you know, $75 million a year have no idea what their cash flow cycles look like or what their EBITDA
0: is. I love how a matter of fact you were about that. <laughs> like, if you've got 10% EBITDA, you're running out of business. It's not funny, but it, it is probably true. And actually, I think that's probably why the beverage industry like we saw ugly drinks right and house like I, th- I think that's a category that's just really hard and low margin
1: yeah well also like <laughs> once again going back to who your customer is right like i used to work in an agency and every client would come in and be like our customer shops at acne studios like they go to barry's boot camp like they're doing all these types of things I'm like cool you're describing like three percent of people maybe <laughs> you know what i mean like right. like you're really just describing people you know and people you see and people you want to be around right and it's like the house they're not talking shit about them right but it's like yeah man it's really like you're you're really competing versus coca-cola and like you know most people aren't like you know i think magic spoon's gonna have the same problem i've, I've met the magic spoon team they're very awesome. They're very cool. They're doing awesome stuff. Health first, right? But like they're in Target now and like they're 2x or 3x the price of like the store brand thing of cereal. And it's like, man, I hope you get a good sell through. But like, you know, will this play in, you know, most of the country, right? But yeah, I think specifically about drinks, you got to fucking ship drinks to people. Like,
0: yeah, stop. It's he-
1: shipping water is the heaviest fucking thing you can ship.
0: But I know. Anyway. People got really excited about that category because I think it like, it showcased like the ability to compete with the incumbents by going direct in a in a model that hadn't been direct before. But I, I don't think the people that fell in love with those brands really understood like how hard or unrealistic it was going to end up being if they didn't just find normal distribution channels. Yeah, the
1: cheapest way to ship something directly to a person in America is like three dollars and fifty cents. So like to ship like just like a six-pack of Coke, whatever you want to call it, right? Ugly drink, house, whatever. It's like, that's probably the cheapest way to get them to somebody's 12 bucks. So it's $2 per thing, right? Maybe you can get it for eight bucks. It just depends on like whatever your your nodes are. So let's call it like a dollar per thing. It's like, that's fucking how much a Coke is. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how much will someone pay for a non-alcoholic beverage, right? Like what's the ceiling on that, right? And that's why, you know, I think there's a... Uh, Commenteer has a different approach to it right that they've removed the liquid so it could be concentrate like jolt coffee does the same thing like yeah so anyway man like yeah i think i think that's what it comes down to that's what kills you it's like it's expensive to ship stuff to people
0: all right let's talk about a couple others that you did some analysis on you actually mentioned yeti earlier in the show in this episode so let's talk about yeti's earnings sounded like you were on a yacht the day the, the <laughs> earnings came out, which was great, but yeah, no, no, for real. I mean, obviously, their stock is down or was down. I, I haven't checked the last couple of days, but like, what do you think is happening there?
1: Look, uh, I'd call it boring for boring occasion. Like, it's just like <laughs> it's like when companies get large and they become corporate and they have these earnings calls, they just get incredibly boring. The founders aren't involved in the business anymore, they might still be on the board of directors, but. Look, I I listen to every earnings call from Yeti. I follow them very closely. They are the success story for the past 10 years. You cannot name a more successful brand in the past 10 years than them. Like Their sales numbers are astronomical compared to a Wolby Parker or an Allbirds or whatever else, right? There's nobody else. The other thing I really like about them is they've redefined the category. Like Nobody thought people would spend $300 on coolers, $50 for water bottles, but they've built a billion dollar business off of that right they're worth four billion right now so nothing but respect and love to them i moved to austin so i can get closer to those motherfuckers but nice they're totally lacking any sort of inspiration at all right doing stock buybacks on the earnings call talking about like the big new color they're pushing right it's just like it doesn't feel like at the heart of their brand like i think sales are really going to plateau You know, they were in talks with Osprey to buy them, that bag company Mm -hmm. that got bought by Helena Troy. Mm -hmm. And now they're pushing their own bag line, but sales are just not going well in their bag line. I bought one of the bags. I'm going on a boating trip tomorrow. So I needed a weatherproof bag. So, you know, I wanted to test out the competition, but like, look, I mean, they, they just, they loop it in with coolers, right? Like they're not even pouring on as a separate segment because it's not going well. Hmm. So all that to say is, we'll see if the leadership can turn around. We'll see if they can become passionate again. But like, once you go down that path, you can call it the IBM path, right? Like once you start being like a boring public company, like it's very hard to do exciting, cool things. And the reason why Amazon and Google continue to outperform is because they've never went down that path.
0: So do you think that a lot of what we're seeing in some of the like darlings of DDC and the challenges they're having is that as they've scaled, they've kind of lost that like motivation and passion to innovate on the next horizon more so than some of the macroeconomics at play?
1: If it's specifically about D2C, maybe, but usually what the problem is they suck at running businesses. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what it yeah. comes down to. Spreadsheets are a lot easier than you know operations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I did a breakdown of AKA brands, right? And, or really this actually goes to any D2C brand right now marketing expenses are up and sales are down, right? So when that's happening, how do you get out of that vicious cycle, right? Like it means you're really bad at marketing. Like people don't want what you're trying to sell them, right? Like your marketing is less effective. So like you can't spend your way out of that, right? Like there is no room to scale there. If you scaled, like the business gets worse over time. And that's really like the crucial death point for a brand, right? Where it's like, okay, people don't want what you're selling. (laughs) Like You have to spend more money to convince them and sales aren't moving in a positive correlation there. And then you actually have to fix the company, right? And that's when you lose all faith, right? Like I think that kind of happened to Stitch Fix. I think they're they're trying to fix the company right now because fixing the company, that's the hardest thing to ever happen, right? Like if a company's good and in a growth period, an idiot can run it, right? But like when you actually have to dive in there and like, It's like you perform open heart surgery. Like we gotta fix stuff, we gotta repair stuff. Like we have to cut teams, we have to rethink strategy. There's less than three hundred people on earth who can do that effectively, repeatedly. And usually those people make a lot of fucking money. And I don't know if they wanna go do that to Warby Parker or, or AKA brands or whatever else, right? So that's that's the real challenge. And like, you know, Yeti's not there, but you can see Yeti going there, right? The breakdown I did was AKA brands versus elf right? Like mm-hmm. similar sales numbers, but like why is Elf worth $4 billion, right? And it's like, oh, because Elf has strong fucking leadership. Like everyone on that team is thinking about the future and executing on the future. And they're like, we're going to fucking buy brands because we're killing it so much. We can take this to other people. We're going to go up and down the price chain. And like that sort of like passionate execution that like is with performance results to back it up. Yeah, You can't find that on AKA Brands or a yeti right now so anyway Elf wow. is doing a pretty good job
0: so okay i feel like we've covered some good ground i want to kind of wrap with a little bit of a overview on like what you think it takes to actually win in this environment you've talked about some of this right opera strong operations innovation a culture of, of innovation but like what does it take
1: yeah uh Look, I wrote a blog post one time and I shared it somewhere and it was called The Death of the Ten Million Dollar Brand. And the whole idea was that I wrote this probably during COVID or pre-COVID, something like that, where it was like, like I've always been talking about the doom. Like I'm like, oh, there's a storm coming. It's gonna fuck up your brand, or whatever else. And like it's sad to see that kind of rolling out of the past couple of years. But it's like incumbents win in recessions because they have more resources. Like they're slower moving, but they're a lot sturdier, right? You know they have distribution lines they have customer bases they can run promos you know what i mean and so like recessions and economic turmoil are really hard for up and coming brands right so i posted something yesterday where i was like like you either have to be better than everybody else or you have to do something nobody else is doing okay and can you honestly say that you're doing those two things <laughs> and like with paid media you have to be better than not 50%, probably 90% of people. Are you in the top 10% of paid media accounts, right? Are you testing better creative? Are you iterating faster? Are you breathing? Like, is that a core competency of your business? And if it's not, okay, well then you have to do something unique that nobody else is doing, right? And almost nobody is, right? Like I talk to people like, what's your plan to to scale? They're like, we're just going to spend money on Facebook. It's like, oh, like your competitor and like every other fucking person. You know what I mean? Or like, we're going to start spending money on TikTok like every other fucking person. Like, <laughs> what are you doing that's actually unique to drive these results, right? now, and in, right that, now,
0: I was just going to say, like, is that actually different today than it ever was?
1: When everything's going up, right? So when, when the aggregate is like, this goes back to e-commerce penetration, We're specifically talking about e-commerce, when penetration's rising, more people are shopping online, more transactions are shopping online. You can do what everybody else is doing and maintain that same base level of growth, right? That's market. That's beta. Like you can do just that. But when the market goes down, right? E-commerce penetration, your viewers going down, right? So if you want your sales to stay flat or improve, you have to actually be better than everybody else. So it's the classic, you know, when the tide's out, you see who's not wearing shorts, right? It's like when things start going bad, like that's when you need this more than ever, right?
0: Yeah. Mike Beckham, did you see his his tweet storm today? He's the founder of Simple Modern.
1: Him and I are very close. We're in okay, group chats, so, we're friends, we hang out.
0: I love it. I love it. I loved his thread today. Follow him on Twitter, Mike Beckham. He had some quote. I forget where he got it from, but like this really rings true. When a great team meets a lousy market, the market wins. When a lousy team meets a great market, the market wins. When a great team meets a great market, something special happens. And I, I do think just like the nature of what's happened in the last three years in D2C has kind of helped teams elevate and grow that wouldn't necessarily have done that otherwise. And now yeah, that's where 100%. the problems are coming from.
1: Yeah, no, dude, you summed it up. Like, what do you need to do to win right now? Be better than everybody else or do something nobody else is doing? And if you can do one of those things, you're going to be fine. If you can do both of those things, you're going to win. Right. So, like, Ridge hasn't done a lot of things well the past five years. Like, we, we were subpar in creative, we were subpar in landing pages, we were subpar in product development. We have those levers now though, right? We can get those back to at least matching everybody else, if not beating everybody else. And then everything else we're doing, you know, unique to us or or better than everybody else. It just, it's a flywheel. It's a snowball. It just keeps us going.
0: I love it. I appreciate the candor there that you feel that fire and and the things that you need to uh, improve in the business, so to speak. That's awesome to hear. Even at a hundred million plus in revenue, it's not perfect. And uh, the mission's much bigger. I love it.
1: Yeah, if you think you're the best, you're fucking up. <laughs> you know, because like uh, a ton of people knock us off. A ton of people copy us doing whatever, right? And I always think that like, if you think I haven't figured it out, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> like there's, I mean, who wants to be a wallet company? We're the biggest one. It's like, get, yeah. <laughs> there's better, bigger people to copy.
0: Love it. Awesome. Always with spicy takes, Sean. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, for anyone who's listening that isn't familiar with Ridge, check them out, ridge.com. And uh, Sean, you're Sean Ecom on Twitter, right? I am. Best leading wallet CEO, but but <laughs> best D2C uh, public company analyst all at the same time, I love it.
1: Awesome.